Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. Most of the podcasts you'll find here are recorded in our Sunday services, hence the not always perfect audio quality and background noises, but occasionally something or someone else will be featured. We're the kind of Christians who like the Bible a lot, but we're not the thump you with it kind of ones. We believe in the world-changing power of the love of Jesus and the present-day work of the Holy Spirit to change things. We're also always trying to integrate all this culturally applicable truth in real ways that reach our emotions and intellects, as well as our spirits. We're starting 2020 with a seven-part series called The Holiness of Health. The truth about our emotional and mental health doesn't always get centre stage in church, and while this is all stuff that we talk about quite a lot at Bread, we wanted to kick off the new decade with a proper, in-depth look at this stuff. We hope you enjoy it. And this morning, we're going to continue our series on the holiness of health by focusing on brokenness and vulnerability. So let's get ready. Um, I want to bring up a painting. Maybe you've seen this before. Uh, It's a painting by Rembrandt, which he painted in about 1644. And it illustrates a well-known story in the Gospel of John, and it's titled, The Woman Taken in Adultery. Is the painting up there? Great. It's very dim. Perfect. Just let your imagination fill in the gaps. Um, I'm going to read this story, and I'd like to invite you to bring the painting to life um, in your imagination. Gospel of John says this. It says, Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religion scholars and Pharisees let in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Bending down, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away. One after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go your way. From now on, do not sin. Pretty common story. Um, In the the religious leaders, you can imagine the fear they're experiencing, fear that everything they fought for to practice their faith, the freedom to gather and read the Torah, will be taken away by movements gaining a lot of attention from the Roman Empire, like that of Jesus's. So fear and self-preservation is at the heart of what they're doing in this scene. And in the woman, you can imagine the shame she's experiencing. 
shame that'll cut her off from all social connections and solidify her as an outcast and a threat to the fabric of all social life. Shame must be the pinnacle of all her feelings. And in the center, we see Jesus. And he is compelled by love and is completely aware of the brokenness on both sides, which moves him in compassion. And he responds perfectly to the situation. He upholds the law and protects the woman. Jesus perfectly extends truth and grace. And in the characters of the religious leaders and the woman, we see a bit of ourselves, that we are broken as they are. Our brokenness must always be kept in light of Jesus' perfection. See, without Jesus in the picture, we're left to our self-help, uh, never-ending fear and blame, as well as a deep shame and hopelessness. But with Jesus, Jesus is what we could never be. See, he was without fault, without obstruction in relationship to God. And I love this painting because Rembrandt shows Jesus taller than everyone else. Is the painting still up there? Yeah, you can see him. He's the tallest one. Um, he's taller than anyone else. And Rembrandt does this to communicate a sort of a superiority. Not, that, not in the sense that Jesus' perfection should make us feel less than, but instead that his perfection is a solution to our brokenness. See, our brokenness and weakness is made up for in Jesus' perfection. Whatever we lacked, Jesus made up. And he filled the gap so we don't need to be striving and reaching for our own perfection. See, Christianity is about Jesus' perfection making up for our brokenness. And if you're like me, then you've been on both sides of the story. Afraid, defensive, proud, like the leaders, or vulnerable, broken, and ashamed like the woman in the story. See, but whatever side we find ourselves in, we see perfect Jesus responding to our brokenness. And our brokenness stems from our human condition. Our human condition that Jesus came to buy back, to redeem, and forgive like we see in the story. That's what Jesus does is he takes us as we are and he gets to work in helping us. It's like one of those HGTV shows about flipping houses. Uh... We, we've been bought. We've been bought. The, the price has been paid, and Jesus is actively making his home in us. But the process often means opening some hidden doors and uncovering some areas that may need attention. Sometimes those areas of brokenness come out, particularly in our relationships and work. Our relationships with one another are often broken. We go after what we think is good at the expense of others. We're often disappointed with people in our marriages. For example, Ashley really enjoys to leave water glasses all around the house. And I somehow managed to leave my socks one inch from the laundry basket. I don't know how that happens. But we're disappointed with people in our families, in our churches, in our workplaces. Intimacy is replaced with manipulation, power struggles, put-down, seductions, defensiveness, a withholding of love, and loneliness is often prevalent. 
a relationship with work is also broken. We think, if I get that job, then I'll be satisfied, or when I get this promotion, then I'll be someone. We work with a sense of restlessness and incompleteness and unhealthy competitiveness. These are all symptoms pointing to the problem that we find in the human condition, that we are not perfect. And we've all been there. We're broken and imperfect, yet Jesus still draws close to help us. The author of The Emotionally Healthy Church, he points three ways that we respond to our brokenness. Number one is we flee. We flee by bearing our pain and some form of addictive behavior, avoiding life by focusing on only one small part of it. The perfect example I can think of is Kylo Ren. He buries the pain of Luke's rejection and misjudgment and focuses on being like Darth Vader. Uh, The second way we um, respond to our brokenness is we fight. We become angry, uh, bitter, violent because life isn't going our way. And a clear example of this is Cain and Abel in the scriptures. Cain becomes angry and violent towards his brother Abel. And if you want further proof, um, just look up some Facebook comments around politics. Uh, The last way we respond um, to our brokenness is we hide. We built our lives in ways that cover up how damaged, cracked, fractured, limited, and imperfect we are. And my tendency is to hide. Um, I hide the damaged, cracked, and insecure parts of myself. And I do this primarily by deflecting attention, as I mentioned earlier. My fear is that if people were to really see me, they'd write me off. If the attention is on me for too long, people will see my cracks and that I am broken. And I also grew up going to youth groups, so I was under the subtle and underlying pressure of having to be this perfect Christian. And much of that I'm still unlearning. But I remember people being surprised when hearing about my imperfections or the imperfections of others as if it were some unknown alien thing that just like suddenly showed up. Um, But being a Christian often carries the social pressure of having to be perfect. But it's not helpful for anyone, nor is it Christianity. See, actual Christianity as Jesus intended it means admitting our brokenness. And there's usefulness to our brokenness if we do the right thing with it. If we tend to avoid it or make excuses for it, then we may find ourselves in more troubling situations in the emotional, relational, and work aspects. See, for some of us, we know we're broken, and we often find ourselves feeling like we've got more cracks than anyone else. For others of us, the brokenness in someone else is easier to spot than the brokenness in ourselves. But our response to brokenness begins with Jesus' perfection. See, God intends for us to see Jesus' perfection and sufficiency and respond by coming to him. Jesus is a solution and the means for living in brokenness and vulnerability. God doesn't see our brokenness or our weakness as something disgusting or repulsive. He actually embraces it. 
he embraces us with all of our vulnerabilities. And we often think God is only interested in the strong parts of ourselves, in the ducks we have lined in a row, in our streaks of being a good boy or a good girl. But he's actually interested in our whole selves and our weaknesses included. And I know this because I really believed God was after me on my good days. But I found that God is actually also interested in my weekdays. We, W-E-A-K, not. <laughs> and the days when I forget about God and feel like I'm at my worst, when I'm proud and defensive, when I react from my insecurities, God doesn't dip in when we're good and bail out when we're bad. When I'm at my best, I sometimes fool myself into thinking that I can do this on my own. And I'm confronted with my brokenness and realize that I can't do this on my own, that I actually need God. And that's the thing about brokenness, is it serves to remind us that we're dependent on God. And we see this plainly in the life of Paul. 2 Corinthians 12 reads, reads this. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Scholars and historians believe that Paul had a health condition. It could have been an eye problem, a speech impediment, or um, epilepsy. This condition often left him feeling weak and sometimes inadequate. But in Paul's, we- in Paul's weakness and lack, God fills the gaps with his power. See, where Paul felt inadequate and insufficient, God met with his spirit to empower him. Grace in the Greek is the unmerited help we do not deserve that is given with no strings attached. The unmerited help we do not deserve that is given with no strings attached. And in our brokenness, God helps us with no strings attached. It's free. Weakness makes room for God's strength. We don't tend to gravitate towards weakness. Um, Our culture has a high value for strength and power. In America, we call it shock and awe. That's why we have a problem with Luke Skywalker and the sequels. We expected a strong, wise, and successful Jedi master, but we're presented with a lonely and vulnerable Jedi who's experienced failure. See, when we embed strength and power as the only expressions of faith that matter, we jeopardize our personal growth and our faith. We sometimes forget that God came to humanity. He moved into the neighborhood in vulnerability. As a baby born in poverty under foreign occupation. Weakness, brokenness, and vulnerability are all part of our narrative because in our weakness, we allow space for God's power. 
See, when we put up the walls of strength, pride, and defensiveness, we choke out any opportunity for God, for God's power to move in and through us. Pride and defensiveness sounds like this, and um, I, there's a list, yeah. Um, I chose these because this is how pride and defensiveness looks in me. Um, but it says, it's needing to be right in order to feel good. Blaming others. Writing people off when we're offended. Highly self-conscious and concerned about how others perceive me. Often holding grudges and rarely asking for forgiveness. On the other hand, this is what brokenness and vulnerability looks like. And this is what I feel God is forming uh, in me. It's God's strength that reveals itself in admitting mistakes and saying I was wrong. Ouch. Taking responsibility for myself and speaking in the I and not the you or they. When offended, I ask questions to explore what happened. Being more aware of God and others than the impression I'm making of myself. I laugh at that one because that's really real. Not holding people in debt and having the ability to ask others for forgiveness as needed. See, living in brokenness and vulnerability takes the focus off of ourselves and rightfully puts it on Jesus so that our imperfections are met by grace. And this isn't about discovering your best self or implementing a formula for success. I think we often do that with uh, scriptures and the truth. Um, we, we're tempted to turn these truths into formulas that guarantees success and power, but that's not what God is after in us, unfortunately. See, his intent is to form us to be who we already are, people loved by him and filled with his spirit. But the temptation is to disqualify ourselves because of our brokenness and imperfection, but that runs against the history of God's people. See, the Bible is full of stories of people who are broken, imperfect, or at a disadvantage. To list a few, uh, Naomi was a widow. Jonah ran from God's will. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. David had an affair. He murdered and abused his power. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Mary, Jesus' mother, was embarrassed by Jesus. Sarah was too old. Ruth was an immigrant. David was too young, and Peter denied knowing Jesus, and there's countless more. But I, I find this encouraging because God often sees opportunity and potential where we see setbacks and weakness. See, Paul writes about this to the Christians at Corinth who, like us in the West, were flattered by power, prestige, eloquent speech, and preacher sneakers. Um, he argues for the authenticity of his leadership by laying down his credentials and appealing to his weaknesses. He writes, If you only look at us, you might as well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from, from confusing God's incomparable power with us. As it is, there's not much chance of that. 
you know for yourselves that we were not that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. See, when we trust God with our brokenness and weakness for his power, we're like clay pots. Or that particular coffee mug you use day to day, and it may not be ornate or expensive, but you trust it to hold your coffee and your tea, and you're comfortable to take it with you anywhere. That's the image at play here. See, we're imperfect, but God's power in us is more than sufficient. It's, pa- it's perfect power in imperfect people. And in my life, I think what challenges me from living in brokenness and vulnerability is fear and control. And I find that may be the case for some of us. Um, but fear tells us that people won't really like us if we're vulnerable. That if we do this, we'll, if we do this, we'll keep people at a distance and it makes intimacy difficult. Ultimately, it's a lonely way to live. Control, on the other hand, pressures us to always be aware of how people see us. And if we go this route, we could fall into the trap of manipulating circumstances and people to see a version of ourselves that may not be entirely true. Ultimately, it's an exhausting way to live. See, living in brokenness and vulnerability begins with seeing Jesus' perfection and trusting that it's enough. Within the last uh, 10 to 15 years, um, a researcher named uh, Brené Brown has done an incredible amount of work on this subject, and her research revealed that those who are most comfortable with being vulnerable are the ones that know they're loved. She's got a whole TED Talk on it, and I'd recommend you listen to it. Um, But isn't it assuring to know that uh, faith and research can support one another? That the call of the gospel is one of scandalous and reckless love to a broken world. And we're invited to receive that love. We're invited to be loved. Over and over, the writers of the New Testament referred to their audiences as beloved. And it's what they wanted drilled into our minds regarding how we see ourselves, that we're loved, that we're worthy of being loved, regardless of the disadvantages we may be in, the judgment calls made on us, the shame we carry, or the defensiveness we live from. See, Jesus says, be loved. Receive the love that he's got for you. So let's live from who we are, people who are loved by the one who created us. One of the most vulnerable things we can do is say, I love you first. Saying those words first uh, puts a lot down on the line. We're not sure how it would be received or if it would be said back to us, uh, whether, whether or not it's the right time, there's a lot at stake. 
And when Ash and I were dating, it had been about six months. It had been six, six months in, and I was feeling good about this. And so I began asking myself, okay, do I, do I love her? And I needed to talk through this with someone who I felt could bring some clarity. So I met up with someone who knew Ashley really well. And we chatted about what I was feeling, and he said this. He said, I think you know what this is. You just got to tell her. And immediately my heart dropped. I was like, oh, my gosh. It's gotta, this is terrifying. So I worked up the courage. I, I called Ashley on the phone, and I asked if I could come over. And when I got to her place, I said, I've got to tell you something. And my heart was racing. I was sweating. Um, I probably smelled. There was a lot of things going on. I said, I love you. I was the first to say it, and it felt natural, but it was terrifying. Um, and I'm still waiting to hear it back. <laughs> Just kidding, she loves me. <laughs> um, but it was terrifying. It was so vulnerable to just put yourself in that position. The letter of First John says this. It says, first, we were loved. Now, we love. But he loved us first. God said, I love you first. And vulnerability, knowing how it would be received. God loved us first. That this scandalous and inclusive love reaches near and far to you and to me and our brokenness. And it tells us, it's okay, you don't have to be afraid. You don't need to be perfect says, give me your power, give me your weakness and failures, and I'll give you my power. Christianity is about imperfect people receiving perfect love, receiving perfect power. That's all I got for us. Um, why don't we stand as the band comes up and we'll sing a song. All the talks from our Sunday services are written with an aim to point people towards and help them open themselves to the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't think he's just a bit part or an optional extra in our Sunday services. Following his lead is kind of the whole point. So at the end of each service, we invite everyone to receive prayer. There's no magic in the way that we pray for people. We've just found that it's the easiest and most natural way to open ourselves. And that when we do that, he often meets us in the most wonderfully transformative ways. If you're able to join us at a service, we'd always encourage you to give this a go, as out of your comfort zone as it may be. Do drop us a line at hello at bread.church if you'd like to talk about any of this more. Thanks for listening. <laughs>